0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Grow With Soul these round numbers always feel like such a milestone, don't they? <laughs> so today is a Q&A episode where I'm going to be answering all the questions that you asked me on Instagram, all about starting and running a business. So thank you so much for sending in such a big variety of questions, because this means that today we're going to be covering topics as widespread as money to Instagram, competition, motivation, and lots of other nitty gritty things in between. So let's get started. I'm going to start off with a couple of sort of general questions and then as we go through get on to some more specific meaty detailed ones. So the first question was what made you decide on Simple and Season rather than using your own name? And actually this is one that I've been asked a couple of times by clients and things like that. And I guess the answer is that when I very first started out, this wasn't going to be a business. <laughs> it wasn't going to be anything to do with marketing or business or anything kind of like what it is now. Um, I started it off just as a lifestyle blog. I say just. There's nothing just about it. But I started it off as a lifestyle blog and I'd wanted to start a blog for about... 6 years by the time I actually did take the plunge and start simple and season and having tried to use my own name in the past I knew that was a barrier to me putting things out there being seen by putting my name to it it felt like people who I wouldn't want to find it would be able to find it so using simple and season was A bit of a safety blanket and something to hide behind. And the name came from because at the time I was inspired by people like obviously me and Orla, Lobster and Swan. So that was definitely a trope that I wanted to pick up on. And that's kind of how Simple and Season came about. So I guess if I was starting the business now with knowing what it was going to be, I might use my own name. There is also the problem that my own name has a Y in it and everybody always gets it wrong. So that might be one reason why I wouldn't use my own name. But yes, I do realise that it can be confusing for people to know me as Kate Ferris, but also as Simple and Season and know what my handles might be everywhere. So yeah, I get that it's a little bit confusing, but yeah, I got so far as being Simple and Season that it kind of didn't make sense to change it all round and start again with it. So question number two, what do you see as the biggest thing that holds back new, freshly started businesses? And what a juicy one this is. <laughs> so for me, it, it's difficult to describe in words because it's a more of a feeling of that, that clenched shoulder feeling of wanting to do everything right, feeling like there are certain hoops to jump through in order to get the secret to what it means to be successful and that feeling of, well, I can't do that because I'm not big enough. I don't have enough followers. That's not for people like me. So it's all the things, it's all the stories that we tell ourselves that holds people back. And it's all in our mindset. And it's a, a kind of general lack of belief, I guess, But more just not knowing where to channel that energy and having loads of different voices saying do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And just not being really connected to their own kind of intuition and trusting that they're allowed to follow what feels right. I guess that's the thing that really sums it up is a lack of self-trust around their business because they feel that there's certain ways they have to do it certain things they're not allowed to do and actually a lot of my work with clients in particular is helping them to trust themselves that all their ideas are are good they work for them they and giving them that permission to do those things that feel right rather than always thinking oh but I read this and it doesn't feel like something I want to do but this person's got 100k followers so I should probably listen to what they say rather than actually listening to what feels good for them and very often what happens with clients of mine is that they said oh I had this idea but I didn't do it because I thought it's probably not right and I would say well yeah that's exactly what I would do (laughs) why haven't you done it and it's just that lack of trust that Oh, an idea I've had can't be good enough. So that's the biggest thing that I see that holds people back is a lack of trust in themselves and a mindset that isn't necessarily can do. It comes up with all the reasons why they can't do, first of all. So that's a big shift that I would hope for people who are listening to this with their new freshly started business is to start listening to yourself talk and try and see what are those things that keep coming up so for me it was that's not for people like me was my big one that would hold me back all the time and have me self-sabotaging everything because I would think oh that's really great but uh, that's not for people like me and it wasn't until I noticed that and started to challenge that notion by asking well why not no I've written a blog post about this that you, I'll link to so you can read it that was when things started to change for me Okay, question three, do you think there's a surge of entrepreneurs because of Instagram and all the people that publicize their success due to Instagram? I really feel like I'm in a saturated market. This is so interesting. And I think it was on this week's The Little Chapters podcast that Jess and I talked a bit about this in terms of self-employment. Because yes, it does feel like at the moment, if you're on Instagram and you don't have a business, it's kind of like why are you there? It's <laughs> not what I believe but there does seem to be this, this feeling that you have to have a business and I'm sure there are a lot of people who feel like I don't want one <laughs> but kind of feel pushed into it because it is a very entrepreneurial space with people really encouraging you, including myself I guess, encouraging you to see see the possibilities that Instagram has. And yes, it's also because it's the place where people spend a lot of their time, a place where people go to say, this is how much I'm earning or this is a success I've had because it's their marketing channel. They want to talk about those successes in order for them to look good. So yes, there's been a surge of entrepreneurs because it's also a very democratic space. You know, All you need is 4G, an internet connection, a camera phone. And yeah, you can you can set up a business, which I think is really great because for so long there've been so many barriers to getting into business. Yeah, you know, I talked about on that podcast when I was growing up, the only people who had businesses were like people's dads. <laughs> and they had to have an office and they had and there was all these huge setup costs. And now the fact that these setup costs are minimal, really, really minimal, it means that anybody can do it. Obviously there's time costs and things like that, but if you've got a phone, you can start a business, which is is quite amazing. But that kind of last part of your question where you said about how you feel that you're in a saturated market, I hear that quite a lot from people who feel like they're being encroached upon and I think particularly for people who've been on Instagram for a really long time like even pre-algorithm they really struggle with the fact that now all these other accounts are growing and I guess there's this feeling of there's all these other people and they're all taking part of my pie and again this is a mindset thing it's shifting from that lack mindset of I'm in a saturated market there's all these other people competing with me in my space for my stuff that's a very lack mindset way of thinking and so I really try to be more abundant with it and use that JFK quote of a rising tide lifts all boats and you know when somebody else starts a coaching business or talking about different ways of doing marketing you know i can't lie that there's not a little gut wrench there but very quickly i turned it around to being like well good there's going to be more people talking about it therefore more people searching for this kind of content and my content will then come up and then that's the only part of it that i can control so If somebody else is starting something similar, great, more people are going to know it's a possible thing, they're going to be searching for it, and then when they search, they need to find mine, and mine needs to be amazing. So I guess it's taking what looks like a problem, i.e. that saturated market, and turning it into an opportunity. So this is an opportunity to really raise your game. You can see what other people are doing, so how can you be different? It's In a lot of ways, being in a saturated market is kind of good because it's way easier to find your niche. If you're in a market where you're the only one, that feeling of, well, what do I have to offer that's unique, and you've got too many options there. Whereas actually, if you're in a market where there's loads of people doing lots of similar things it's really easy to see where the gaps are and those are the gaps that you can fill. So yes, I do think there's been a surge of entrepreneurs due to Instagram. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing as long as all those people are happy being entrepreneurs. And I think if you're worried about a saturated market, shift that mindset to being more of an abundant one and look at it as an opportunity and not a threat. Okay, question four how do I best spend my time when starting out? Should I only be blogging just to get content out there or dot, dot, dot? So yes, this is a question, again, that I have a few times when people say, what's what's the thing I should be working on and focusing on? And obviously the answer that nobody wants to hear is that really how marketing works is not having that one thing that works for you. It's having lots of things that all work together to build a whole big brand story rather than just focusing on Instagram or just focusing on the blog. However, I know when you're starting out that it's not possible to do absolutely everything. And actually not even when you're starting out, when you're on your own, it's not possible to do absolutely everything. So in terms of how to best spend your time, it's where you're gonna get the most effect from the work that you're doing. So for example, if you are somebody who really struggles with writing and getting the ideas and putting them into words and then putting them onto paper and then editing them takes ages and you're not really confident about it, then blogging isn't going to be the best use of your time because if you've got three hours and you're spending all of those three hours writing a blog that you don't even finish... That's not efficient. So think about what you are best at, what your strengths are, and do those. So maybe it's that you're much more of a visual communicator and you're amazing at photography or you are an illustrator and you can, you know, in those three hours you could bang out a whole load of illustrations that you could put then on Instagram or on Pinterest. Well, and or and that you could have a, a monthly newsletter that you host where you send a monthly illustration out for example for those three hours that it might take you to not even finish a blog post you could be on all those three other channels so that's what I'd say is there's not there's never just one thing and to spend your time doing the things that you're really strong at because not only are they the things that you're going to do quicker and better but they are the things that you're gonna enjoy more that's gonna make it worth your time to be spending your weekends and your evenings doing this thing. So generally what you wanna be doing when you're starting out is getting people to know who you are and establishing what you stand for and what makes you different and basically why people should care about you and what you do. So if that's the goal, then put that together with the with your strength in order to achieve that goal. So like I said, If it is blogging, it's spending that time establishing that rapport, putting out what your expertise is, talking about what you do, being really valuable with it, making sure that you're promoting that blog on things like Pinterest and on Instagram and stuff like that. Or, you know, as I said, put it into building a newsletter list. If blogging's not your thing that you can then send illustrations, images, links, all that kind of thing too. So I hope that answers that question. Okay, so question number five. I think that's what we're up to. How do you get the courage to talk about your idea? And especially without saying just and the like. Which I and I really love that caveat because that's something that we all do is we're like, oh, it's just this, it's not it's not anything. Don't oh it's just it's just me. Don't don't pay attention. So you're very right to to bring that up. And yeah, I get that this is really difficult. And it's something that I find difficult is to talk about what I actually do for money. And it is something that people have said to me in the past of like, it'd be great to hear more about (laughs) what you offer. So I guess that's the first thing is that if people are following you, they're on your list, they read your blog, they comment on your Instagram, they're there because they're interested in you and they want to hear about what you do particularly for your mailing list and things like that, they're there because they want to find out about this stuff. So that's the first thing to remember, that you're not necessarily annoying people. And what I always find in these situations is that to turn the frame of reference around, and by that I mean when you come at it from a kind of place of ego where it's about you, i.e., this is what I'm doing, this is my idea, this is what I want it to do for me... That is a very kind of icky place, it feels like, to come from. But we kind of don't think to switch it around and be like, this is for you, this is how I want to help, this is what I've got of value, this is how I can serve. That when you think about the person that you're talking to, and so talk about your idea from how it's going to help them, that becomes a lot easier to talk about it. So rather than, oh, I've got this ebook and i really want it to help spread my message much further and uh, make sure that people can know all about what i do yeah that's not a very nice way to be communicating it but i've got an ebook and its mission is to help people to come up with their perfect dinner party recipe (laughs) that was if you can't tell that was off the top of my head but it's to help people eat the food they want to eat or to to host the parties they want to host and to build their confidence hosting those things when they've got their mother-in-law coming over and she always has a snide comment, I want to help you to have something that she can't make a comment over. So not the best example in the world there perhaps, but you can kind of see the difference that when you approach it from the point of view of your customer, it becomes a lot easier to not feel gross talking about your idea because you're not even talking about yourself you're not even really talking about the idea you're talking about the effect it has on your customer so that's something that I always say to people is there's a difference between what you're selling and what somebody is buying so you might be selling this ebook but they're buying the knowledge and confidence to host their perfect dinner party So if you think about what they're buying, talk about what they're buying rather than what you're selling. That's an easier way to talk about it because it's not about you and it's very much about them. And at the end of the day, that's all people care about. (laughs) Okay, so question number six is how to motivate yourself when you know what you need to do, but you're scared. And, oh, I feel this one. I really feel it because... Yes, you, you can have the idea, you can have read all the blogs and listened to all the podcasts and know exactly, you can see it, you can see how you're going to get there, but there's just that fear holding you back. So what I would do in this situation is to systematise it and take yourself out of it more. And take all the decisions out of it. So what I mean by that is when you have to think about the things that you need to do, that's when there's space for that fear to come in. If you remove the levels of decision making, and what I mean by that is when you get up in the morning, you have to think about what you're going to be doing, you have to think about should I do this bit or that bit that's when the doubts can creep in. So removing that and putting systems in place whereby you're almost autopiloting your way through those things that you need to do, then you're blocking out the space for that fear. So that means to very objectively write out a plan. So go back to the previous episode with Josephine about planning. There's so much stuff in there. So make your plan and write it out very specifically so you know on this day I'm doing these three tasks and the next day I'm going to do those three tasks and just break it down really fundamentally because yes it's easy to be scared of the big picture but it's much harder to be scared of take a photo for Instagram you know so breaking those things down into steps so that you're actually doing it without realizing you're doing it but also just be conscious about what you're scared of and kind of look that in the eye because you have to make it less of a monster because it's always going to be there looming that even when you've done all your different steps there's always going to be one step which is literally step off the ledge well not literally obviously but <laughs> where the last step is always going to be to put yourself out there and if that fear is still hasn't been dealt with then it's still going to exist so to look that fear in the eye get really objective and truthful with yourself about what that fear is and what it is actually of and it's not just oh I don't put myself out there yeah but why not we've got to get really specific about that And then you can start to deal with that fear. And then once you do break it down into what the specific thing you're scared of, it does become less of a monster. And then you can start, once you know what that is, you can start to do some more kind of research into looking about, so say it's more failure or not thinking you're able to do it, then you can look at specifically how you can cope with that fear and then maybe submit another question to me. Okay next question is how do you maintain momentum in a new business but not end up with more work than you have time? Yes this is such a big one because particularly as I said at the beginning you kind of have to do a bit of everything. It's difficult to know what to do but as I say maintain that momentum. So I say there's two different types of momentum. There's Internal momentum, which is the momentum that you feel of you feeling like you're moving forward, then there's the external momentum of it looking like you're moving forward, and that when people look at your business, they can see that momentum, and they're very two very different things, because you can have a really good batch creation strategy, so where you are creating all your blog posts, photography scheduling pins scheduling tweets all, the, all scheduling all the things and it looks like momentum from the outside because there's always stuff going out it was just created you know two months ago so that's a way to kind of keep that momentum going there that kind of, it depends on how you are motivated of how you keep that internal momentum going because if you love a batch like I do, that is a really good way to feel like, yes, I'm on it. <laughs> I've done so much and it's going to really pay off over the next few months and to be able to keep, keep pushing, keep going like that. But if you are motivated from a more little and often approach, then to Plan your time so that you are doing that little and often, so that maybe you have themed days. So, you know, on a Monday I do this, on a Tuesday I do that, so that you can be really getting straight to it when you sit down to work and keep going forward. I'd also say not to do too much Kind of like I answered that previous question, is to pick a few things where you can really excel and that really play to your strengths and just focus on doing those and build the momentum in those areas rather than try to spread your finite energy across all the things because that's not going to be momentum for you or for people on the outside when they can, you're just like struggling to keep up. So, yeah, I think that's it. It's a, a little bit of scheduling batching and again playing to your strengths doing the things that really fire you up so that you can maintain that momentum because it's fun to do and you enjoy doing it rather than oh god I've got to do that thing again because yeah that's that's not going to help you with your momentum okay question eight we're up to I think I know my why but I find it hard to properly convey it in my work do you have any tips Yes, I do have tips. (laughs) Um, What I'd say is that a not to overthink it too much. I think that, I mean, me especially, I'm talking about the why and purpose all the time, that it can feel like, yes, I've got this this statement, this why statement, but I can't write that in all my blog posts and in all my Instagram captions and things. So conveying your why can be very subtle, it doesn't have to always be you know, a punch in the face of your why all the time. It's just making sure that you don't talk about anything that isn't your why. So the way that I always teach to do this is to break down the why into its kind of constituent parts. So think, if you think about your why as the umbrella, you want to create some pillars or content buckets, as I've called them, that would be the spokes that hold up the umbrella. So they are the things that make up your why rather than being the entirety of the why. And then those are the things that you talk about. So for me, it will be things like mindset, it will be things like content marketing, things like planning and productivity, all those different things are the things that hold up my why. So while I'm not always going, why, 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 why? I am talking about that particular portion of my why and I'm talking about it in the context. So I'm not saying, oh, to be productive, you have to get up at 5 a.m. and you have to work really hard all day long because that's not what my why is. That isn't what I believe. So I talk about that thing in the context of what I believe about it. And so that's kind of the easiest way that I've come up with with breaking down, conveying that in your work. It is also a little bit of practice, if I look back maybe 18 months ago at my blog posts and things it's not going to be as refined as it is now and how it is now isn't going to be as refined as it is in another 18 months so it's always a work in progress of how you're learning to communicate that and as the more that you do it the more that you try different things the more that you have something that goes whoa that was really not the right thing to say the better that you become so Start with those spokes of the umbrella and talking about them in the context of what you believe about them, but also just know that you've got to keep doing it in order to refine it. Okay, next question. How do you choose a business idea when you have two somewhat conflicting passions? So I guess the crux of this question is how conflicting the passions are, because if it's something like, I don't know, veganism and butchery then yeah they're, they're probably not going to go together but I'd say that then most things unless they are literally the opposites of each other will go together if you've got a strong enough central why or brand purpose because you are a human being who has these two things so your business can have those two things too so think about why you have those two different passions how they come together in your own life and then see if that works for the business as well with a why and with your marketing and your communications you can justify almost anything so that's what i do is think about that and it's not thinking about the what of how they go together it's thinking about the why and the how of what they go together because you believe in those two things you're passionate about those two things so why can't your business be and if you you come from that central place then communicating it will always make sense rather than coming from a place of, I've got this product over here about this thing, and I've got this product over here about that thing, but then they kind of don't really go together and they don't make sense. If you say, I believe this and therefore I have this product and that product, then it makes sense a lot more. Okay, next question, which I've stuck in because I thought it'd be quite interesting, was what goals do you have for your business this year? By which... I mean, me, what do I have for my business? So yes, so actually this might be a good time to talk about how I plan my goals and things. So I have a central spreadsheet. So all my planning and things happen on one spreadsheet, which has got like a million tabs, but I have a little goal progress sheet in there. So I have a couple of different goals. So I've got basic stuff like the number of new clients I want to sign up, the number of brand collaborations I want to get and um, I'm bringing out some new products in the spring and the summer so I've got kind of numbers I want to hit with those but I also have some goals which are about getting some writing published. I've got a, a tracker for how many books I've read this year, I've got a tracker about doing hobbies on there which doesn't necessarily have to be hobbies but it's just reminding me to do stuff that's not work so they're my kind of my main goal so I've got my kind of basic income goals if you like of I need to sell this to get that I've got things that I want to have for my life and I've got things that I want to have for my business so it's about launching those new products kind of shifting the business model slightly to have more of those accessible products than the more premium offerings that I have and just kind of having a bit more space for life and creativity in there as well okay so now we're going to get a little bit more into some specific marketingy well channel specific stuff I guess So I've got a couple of Instagram questions. So one is, any tips for avoiding that bare look when you're first starting out with your Instagram? Um, I think with, you know, it's going to happen and just accept that beginner status because it's gonna look weirder if you've got like hundreds of posts in there that you've stuck in and they've got absolutely no engagement whatsoever because you've put them all in at the same time so to embrace that organic process of the fact that you are setting up a new business and therefore there is a new channel so do batch some photos so that you can be posting really frequently to start to build that following and build up the space within the within the feed But yeah, don't stuff it with stuff because that's going to affect all your engagement and that's going to affect you not only in the algorithm, but you know, the way it looks when people land on the feed and make sure that in your captions, you're demonstrating that this is new. This is what I'm doing, really introducing the business to help people feel like they want to stick around. So linked to that one is, I'm starting my business, do I use my current Instagram and pivot the content or start afresh? So I would say it depends on how personal your current Instagram is and how much you value it being a personal Instagram. So yes, what I'd almost always say is to use what you currently have because You've got a certain way with it. You might have a couple of hundred followers. If you start afresh, that's going to take you a long time to get back up to that sort of number and overtake it. And also, it's just really depressing trying to start out with a second Instagram. That would be an almost full time job in itself. And it's just talking about time efficiencies as we were earlier starting a new account is. Absolutely never going to be the best use of your time. That said, if you do have that account which is maybe very personal or that you don't want to have business stuff going into, then that's something that you have to weigh up of what's more valuable to you is that time efficiency and a kind of emotional efficiency of not starting from scratch versus still having that Instagram. So, you know, nine times out of ten, I'd tell people to. Absolutely, keep your current one. And if you don't want to do that, then you've got to know you've got a really good reason for that. I also had a question which was Have you been getting this many likes and comments on your Instagram posts since day one? And what I like to say to that is obviously not. (laughs) Yeah, in no way, shape, or form has this always been the way it's been. And I still remember when I got my first post. That got over a hundred likes, and I thought, "This is it. I've peaked. This is as absolutely as good as I'll ever be able to create and ever be able to get." And like, obviously, it's grown since then. So I guess what I'm saying is, please don't think that when you look at an Instagram feed like mine or anybody else's, that that's how it's always been. Because you know, I still had to start from zero I, when I first started Instagram kind of properly in all, in terms of for the blog and for the business I had I don't know 30 followers which were like friends and probably a lot of bots so I had to start from there so please don't think that you know people who have got larger accounts or accounts with a lot of engagement it's just always been like that and, and it's not possible for you because it is okay so moving away from Instagram got some email list questions is the best way to build a mailing list for new businesses. So what have you found most effective for growing a mailing list? So it's going to depend on the kind of business that you are. What I'll always say is that having some kind of freebie or incentive to sign up is always going to work. I know that not everybody loves this approach And I know as well that a lot of people, including myself, have been burnt by signing up for something for a freebie. The freebie's been awful. And then we've got a million million emails every day in our inbox. But, you know, you don't have to do that. And I would probably say don't do that. And I know that it can feel kind of icky to have that incentive. But it's one of my favourite things to do is to create a really good, useful opt-in that I want people to receive it and be like, oh my God, this is actually really useful and really good because that's the kind of brand that I want to build is that where people feel that I'm useful to them and that they're getting some really good value from me. And it just feels good for me to be able to put that stuff out there for free. And so that's very much the thing that has grown. My mailing list is having a selection of really high quality freebies there that people can download and use and that helps people want to stick around on the mailing list as well I'd also say to market your list like you would a product so having a just a little sign up box at the bottom of the page that says sign up for our latest news like nobody wants to do that that <laughs> like you don't want to do that you don't go onto people's website for the first time and be like oh yeah amazing I want more emails in my inbox so you've really got to sell what you're going to be sending out so for that you've got to know what you're going to be sending out so again having a page where you can really talk about the value they're going to be getting break down what they're going to get every month or every week so that they can feel confident in what they're going to be getting and trust you in what they're going to be getting because that's then another barrier to them signing up taken out is that not knowing what I'm going to get is it just going to be a million sales emails a day or is it going to be something with some really cool links once a month and then the third thing that has been effective for growing a mailing list is to be out in the world talking about it so one of the biggest spikes for my mailing list sign up was when I was on the hashtag authentic podcast. So being in places where your your ideal sign ups already are and talking about the fact that you've got that list and you've got those resources um, and they can sign up and they're free is a signpost for people to go over. So making sure that there's a reason for them to sign up, that you are establishing the trust of what they're going to get to help them sign up and then go and talk about your list and those freebies in places where your customer already is okay i've completely lost count of what number we're on but the next question is is local marketing important for online businesses who don't have a location open to the public and that's a really interesting one because again it depends on what you want to be doing so you can still have an online business an online shop But if you want to be a business who has maybe one of your values is community or you want to be very visible in your brand, then doing some local stuff like fairs or free workshops or paid workshops even or collaborating with other local businesses is a way that you can embody those values but in a way that's kind of convenient because it's local for you as well. And if you're doing that in your local area, you're just also establishing a kind of sense of place for people as well. So the key with that, all of that, is that making sure that you're sharing that stuff so that it's not so much about doing the local marketing so you can build a local audience. It's that you're doing the local work to show to your global audience or your wider audience that you are embodying those values and practicing what you preach. But just also be very careful that you don't want people turning up to your house (laughs) when you are doing that local stuff. So yeah, being really clear about why you want to do that local stuff and also making sure those boundaries are clear as well. Okay, next one is when customers have unrealistic expectations or complaints. How to handle the emotions that come with this and how to respond gracefully with clear boundaries, ensuring you're not feeling pressured by these few people. And yes, I mean, to put it nicely, there's not as queer as folk. So you can't expect for every single person that you come into contact with to be 100% happy whether that's because you can't be perfect 100% of the time and shouldn't try to be, or whether it's because they just are in that kind of mood (laughs) Um, that they are not going to be happy with whatever you do for them. So there's a twofold thing to this. It's that making sure that you preempt this through all your copy and so that you are able to set the expectation beforehand so that at least if somebody comes back with an unrealistic expectation or a complaint based on that unrealistic expectation that you can say well it does very clearly say on our website that that's not what this is and also hopefully by having it there on your website in the first place or in the product description or or wherever it is that that's going to turn off those people that they're going to see that's not what they want and so they're not going to buy which is what you want at the end of the day, because then you otherwise you're spending way more time and money sorting out a problem than just not selling the thing in the first place. So that's the first thing is to preempt it. The second thing is, and handling the emotions is a key one. So there's a analogy I read actually, in one of Fern Cotton's columns for Red magazine, she talked about Not catching the ball so people will throw the ball at you so that's their emotions their problem but it's up to you whether you catch it or not so just let that ball bounce off you and know that that's theirs you know that's not mine that's yours I'm not taking this on so to kind of have that boundary there of this isn't to do with me this is coming from their place you know that this is their stuff it's not actually to do with me, my product or my service is the way that they're channeling their stuff, but it's not to do with me and to be very strict with that boundary with yourself and then to to take your time over it. So not to, not to rush or to panic into sorting it out, but to, if, if they're on the phone or if they've emailed or something like that to say, I'm just going to take a little bit of time to look into this properly for you, bear with me and then make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row so that you can go through their journey, go through all your copy, go through everything and know if you made a mistake or not. If you made a mistake, then that's a different way to go about it with apologising and all that sort of thing. But if you know you didn't, then you can at least then go back and say, well, here are all the steps that happened. There was a miscommunication here, but, you know, I'm holding my ground on this one and then you've got like with that not catching the ball you've got to then deal with it get it out of your life and you know I've had things where I I'm very much somebody who I will just refund all your money just so I don't have to have it hanging over me I'm just I don't want that (laughs) in my life or in my business so if there's anything that is making me feel heavy then I I deal with it and get it out and so I can go back to focusing on the people who are right or the people who do get it so I guess that's the thing to do is that if you've been dealing with these unrealistic people or these people who aren't getting it who aren't right is to then immediately go and submerge yourself in the voices that do so deal with it and then go and speak to a business pal or go and keep somewhere. I, I know Emma Gannon does this. She keeps an email folder of like nice things that people have said or go through your comments or like just go and post something on Instagram. Do something really productive and proactive for the people who get it so you can get those positive voices into your head. But I think the main thing I say is don't catch the ball. Just don't catch it. It's not your stuff. So deal with it from that objective place. Okay, so we're gonna finish up with a couple of questions on money and things like that. So the first question here is, all things financial planning and business model. I don't know where to start. So with this, I would start with your business model. So rather than using the term business model, this is just the way in which you make money. So it's pretty much just your income streams and how they work together. So looking at all the different ways in which you can make money. So for me that is with one-to-one work, it's with coaching and then it's with brand work and it's going to be with my workbooks which are all well, my kits which are coming out. So they are my income streams and with each one I know which one's my, well I know which is my primary, I know which is my secondary, my tertiary and then things like brand work which is just kind of tops it up and that's the business model (laughs) it's not I mean obviously if you want to be getting funding from a bank or something you need to go into more detail than that but for yourself that's all you need to know there's no need to over complicate that so what are the ways in which I make money which ones do I make the most money from which ones do I make the least money from and that that's how you then prioritize your activity so that you spend more time on marketing the one that makes the most money and less time on the one that makes the least and then in terms of financial planning you use that for your planning so i would recommend a blog post by jen carrington where she talks about planning your finances and things so she says about setting up a baseline goal where you look at what it's going to take to not get into debt basically so all the things that are going to cover your bills Your food all that sort of stuff and start from there I then have two goals which is I have a core goal which I think is more of a realistic goal so that's based on with all of my income streams if I sell those at 50% of capacity that's my core goal and my stretch goal is if I sell all of those income streams to 100% plus so by plus I mean rather than if I have 40 spaces on a course, but actually 50 people sign up, that would be obviously stretching. And so, yes, so then I kind of work it out for each individual income stream, what that core and that stretch goal is, and then kind of add those up. So what you then are left with is a goal that feels realistic or one that feels like way less than you need it to be. And if it's way less than you need it to be, then you need to either, well, you need to shift your business model in some way. So that might mean upping your pricing. It might mean adding in a different income stream to match the gap that you've got. It might be changing your expectations. But that's the thing, when you've got that shortfall between what you kind of need slash want and what your income streams are giving you, then there just needs to be something else raise the pricing, add something else in. But yeah, that, I'd say keep it really simple like that, because I, this is definitely one of those things that people think, oh, there's a right way to do it. And I'm not doing it the right way. And I, it must be right. And what would somebody think if they looked at it? But if the only person looking at it is you, then the only person it needs to make sense to is you. So keep it really simple. Do it in a way that feels like it makes sense to you. And yeah, so work out. The ways in which you make money, how much money you think you can expect to make from those streams and whether that's enough. Okay so another question about money was how long did it take you to match your earnings from your previous job? So in my previous job I was earning £30,000. I left that job in July 2017 and then between January 2018 and July 2018, I matched that salary. So by the end of July 2018, I had made 30000 So I guess it was really, yeah, it was 12 calendar months, I guess, that it took because in the five months from July 17 to December 17. I wasn't really making a lot of money, maybe a couple of thousand. So yes, that's the answer to that question. I'd like to caveat it with saying that I did nothing else. So I had nothing else going on in my life. I basically worked all of the time. I did a lot of different things. So I was doing coaching, I was doing workshops and I was doing courses in that time. And actually, that very quickly led to a lot of burnout. So, you know, I might have matched that salary in a short amount of time, but at what cost? So I wouldn't recommend striving for that necessarily, um, because by achieving that, there's going to be a compromise. So work out what your priorities are and what the things are that you're not willing to compromise and stick by them. Okay, and our last money question is about spending before you have the income. I've read lots about people investing into their development, branding, and so on in the early days, but where is the line? When does that become unwise when there isn't yet guaranteed income? And this is a tricky one because obviously everybody's situations are very different. So it might be that your business isn't making a lot of money, but you are still working a full-time job so you have income coming from there or maybe you have a partner who is supporting you and means that you're able to reinvest rather than having to live off the profits of your business or maybe it is that you don't have any spare income whatsoever and that everything that you make you need to use to live on. Only you can know what that truth is for you but what I'd say is there is no need to spend. I am very naturally somebody who doesn't spend money. I don't spend money on myself very much. I also have always worked in jobs where I had a very limited budget. So I've always been practiced at being creative with very little money in terms of marketing a business. You don't need to spend any money on anything. You don't need to buy a course. You don't need to hire a coach. You don't need to hire a web designer you can do it all on your own it just will take more time and in terms of both working out how to do it and on google working out how to do it so in terms of my experience i was earning at the time so i was able to invest in the insta retreat course and later i invested in coaching but that was all paid for by my salary at the time other than that my website and stuff I did myself I think I paid a £50 template for it but again that came from my earnings elsewhere but I definitely wouldn't say to get into debt to do those things don't take out credit cards, don't take out loans. I mean, it's difficult. It depends on the kind of business, again, because if it's a, a very physical business where you have to pay rent on a shop or you have to buy stock, that's different to setting up an online business where the overheads are much smaller. So from my experience, I would never get into debt for a business that's not yet paying anything. I've never invested anything that was going to mean that I was short on any of my bills or expenses in that month. So yeah, it's possible to do it without needing to invest in a lot of stuff. So I guess it's, you have to know what feels right. And I think because if the only reason you're thinking about doing it is because you're seeing other people do it, that's not a reason to do it. Just because other people are investing in all the shiny stuff doesn't mean that you're going to be less of a business owner because you're not doing that and in fact it's very easy if you've got the money to pay your way to success but it doesn't work like that you know buying a course or hiring a coach isn't like a a tick box and now you're going to be successful you still have to do that work so whether you're buying the course or whether you're learning it through google and pinterest then it's still the same amount of work you're going to have to do. It's just kind of funneled in a slightly different way. So, yeah, don't invest in things because you think you have to. Work out how you can do it for free first. And then get really, if you do want to invest in stuff, get really clear on what's going to be most efficient. So perhaps if there's something that you feel is you're really weak on, then that's the course to buy rather than maybe hiring a designer who you know you can actually work out how to do that yourself you've got quite good eye for example but yes it's tricky because it's really very different from everybody's perspective so I think my main thing with this is don't be swayed by what other people are doing work out what you can do for yourself so yes that is all my questions so thank you so much for sending them through and we will do another one Soon so if you're not following me on Instagram, I'm at simple and season and that I put always put in my stories when I'm looking for podcast topics or podcast guests even. And if you wanted to submit any ideas for the podcast, you can do it there. So any links and resources that I mentioned will be on my website as usual, which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And so if you enjoyed this episode, as always, do let your friends know and share on Instagram and share where you're listening so that I can can see you and give you a wave and until next time I hope you grow a song